Hang on a minute, then I'll start. Ready? Yeah. I'm Ben. And I'm Kevin. And welcome to the second episode of the Computer Hour, our um, semi-regular podcast. Computer History Hour. Should we try that again? Should we try that again? It's the Computer History Hour. <coughs> we had all this trouble the first time. Same as the title. Far away. Quite important. I'm Ben. And I'm Kevin. And welcome to the Computer History Hour, our second uh, of these um, semi-regular series of podcasts. Um, quite a lot of uh, interest in the first podcast, um, really people watching it worldwide, um, generally a sort of throwing in suggestions left, right and centre, but uh, it's been quite a lot of interest. We've had, um, we've had one letter from our, uh, our listener, Mrs Trellis of North Wales, who's pointed out that several of the things I mentioned about the Elliot 803 in the previous episode were way off the mark. Um, I might have got one or two things right, but it was, it was, that, that's probably more luck than judgment. So we are joined um, for this episode with Peter Onion, uh, well-known guru of anything Elliot 803, programming them, fixing them, restoring them, researching on them, and, uh, emulating them. And emu- uh, no, particularly emulating them, Indeed. which we'll come on to in a moment. So, Peter, hello. Hello. Right, before we, co- before we go through the litany of things that I got wrong the first time. Yes. The 803, for people that don't know it. What period are we talking about? What sort of technology? Okay. And where did it come from? I mean, presumably it, didn't, it just didn't appear no, so- out of... To answer those in roughly the same order, um, they first became available, I think, in 1960. They were roughly available 60 to 65. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a bit complicated because there were two versions of the 803A and the 803B. So, oh, so, the so we've got I, a B. The machine yeah. at the Museum, National Museum yeah. of Computing, the it's, 803B. Is a B. Right. So um, the A was pretty much the same technology but um, so interestingly I had a meeting a few months ago now with Laurie Benthall who was the chap who did the redesign of the A to the B Right. Um, very interesting conversation I had with him, came away with some very nice hand drawn original logic diagrams um, which I'm in the process of getting scanned but it's a 39 bit which is both odd and odd Odd and peculiar. Odd and odd, yes, yeah. Um, Yeah. Serial machine. Yeah. 8K words of store, each word being 39 bits, each word containing two instructions. Right. And that's core. That's core store, and it's also core logic. Early for core stores? No, not really. Really? Oh, okay. That's about right. Right. It's a sort of first generation all core store machine. Okay. Um, but Elliot's did have earlier core storm, which I'm thinking the 802 was all store or core. I think the 40, the 400 series were the last machines that they did with drums, oh, of course, yeah, okay, drums and delay lines. People know about core store, but not core logic. No, so core logic. Um, it relies on the same principle as core store. So you've got a, you rely on the hysteresis curve that you can flip a core from a one to a zero. But when you use it for logic, in, in the case of the 803, you have a, a timing pulse called the trigger winding, which comes along every six microseconds and resets the core to a zero. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If it was a one, the flip from the one to the zero produces an output pulse. Mm. Oh, much like reading a memory. Reading yeah. a core store, yeah. 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 Uh, um, so flipping from one to zero produces a little negative going output pulse, which is then amplified by a single transistor. Uh, not only amplified but stretched mm. to make it big enough and long enough to drive the next core in the chain. Right. So you have two phases of trigger, alpha and beta. So you trigger all the alpha cores, which resets them and possibly produces outputs. You use those amplified outputs to drive the beta cores, which you then trigger another three microseconds later. So it's all a big shift register, two-phase mm. shift register. Mm. But each core has either one, two, or three input windings. So it inherently does oh. a logical OR. 
I was about to say, yes, you've got because, an all gate as a matter of course. Yeah, almost. because a pulse on any of those three inputs will set it. Yeah. Mm. But you can also use, you can wind those windings backwards. Oh, so you can so that they try one. and in, So they try and reset the, the gate. So if you've got, and that's called an inhibit winding. Right. So if you've got two inputs, A and B, yeah. and B is an inhibit, you get A and not B. That's the logic uh, right. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. And actually that might sound, well, that's a bit odd, but most of the control signals in the 803 are actually provided in their inverse form. Hmm. So, so the not B is actually hmm. very useful. useful in that context. Yeah. So, who's this is this is Elliot's own technology, or it's Elliot's own version of the technology. There were certainly other core logic designs. The only right. other ones I've seen anything much about. There's some um, interesting old films of U.S. Air Force, I think, instructors talking about core logic. Oh, right. If you look for them on YouTube, but yeah. interestingly, they didn't have an intermediate, an intervening transistor between the cores, so I think their cores had to be much bigger, so that to, the to output pulses, so the output yeah. pulses were big, big enough, enough. Yeah. to mm. actually set the next yeah. input to, yeah. to, to to set it directly. Yeah. So Elliot's location. innovation, I think, in that case, was the introduction of this single OC84 transistor. Oh, it's germanium, wouldn't it? Yeah. Would be. yeah. Now the only other company I think did something similar were Ferranti. With right. their neuron circuit, which I've got some information on at home. And uh, uh, neurons that was using the Frontier Orion, yeah. wasn't it? <clears throat> but it was, it was wasn't very good. No, yeah. no, I gathered, I gathered it wasn't. And if you look at the circuit, reliable. the the circuit is two to three times more complex. Had lots of other diodes and different supply voltages applied to it. Hmm. Um, and somewhere there's a quote from some conference somewhere which seems to suggest that somebody from Elliot stood up and said this is way too complicated and it is my contention that it is that simplicity of that logic gate right that was key mm. to the success of the whole it, machine yeah, that made it work right. well it made it reliable or made it yeah well, it made it work a lot better and and the fact is that you look at those 2000 odd gates in that machine mm. and the one thing you can say about those 2000 transistors is that none of them was wor are working as well today as they were in the 1960s. Well, yes. <laughs> yes. But they're all still working all well still enough. Working. Oh, you yeah. oh, I see you mean, because the game will have dropped in yeah, their transistors because of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but they're all still working well enough. So there Which was enough design yes. margin, yeah. a, a very conservative design. Yeah. I think the neuron circuit went faster, but... but <laughs> It's all very well going fast, but if you can't stay on the well, road, yeah. it's not very helpful. <laughs> no, that's, that's true. So, what, what what was the difference between the A and the B? So the A, I, I I don't know a lot about the A, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of documentation. For, I don't think they made many of them, right? Um, compared to the two hundred plus of Bs they made, but the fundamental difference was there was one big circulating register, right? Which the program count or the the sequence control register, the accumulator the auxiliary register and, and, and other things all went round in this one big circulation, which meant that the cycle time was quite slow because you had to wait for everything to come all yeah. the way round. So how um, many bits are you talking about then in that? I mean, that's... About, I seem to remember it's something just over 100. Right, yeah. OK. So you're it sitting there waiting more. more. Yeah, yeah. So what Laurie did was take each of those registers and put them in their own little nickel delay line circuit right. so yeah. that you only have a 48-bit circulation so all the registers are 48 mm. bits long with yeah. containing 39 bits within that 48 they're all aligned so everything comes out at the same, same time, time. Yeah. Yeah. you don't have to wait for anything you said a few seconds ago how many were sold over 200 okay that <clears throat> awful lot yeah i know a huge number for the time i i've seen various pictures of the 803 um Is it a, a, a number crunching machine or a commercial data processing machine? Both. It was sold as or both. Or did that change? No, I think it was. It, 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 um, its number crunching credentials came from the fact that it got floating point hardware. So right. it got support for add, subtract, multiply, and divide in floating point. Which would be quick as well. Yeah. For the time. Certainly yeah, much quicker yeah. than doing software anyway. Yes. Was probably fairly unique for a machine of its size at that time. Mm hmm. Um, it was a long word length machine at 39 bits, so that was good for scientific stuff. Yes. Um, but the fact that it had the 
the magnetic backing store, Magfilm backing store, actually made it good for commercial stuff as well. Well, I'll come on to that because I, I, you could you could operate it typically with paper tape in and paper tape out yep. as a number crunching machine, perfectly happily without yep. that. But the the backing store is unusual. It's unusual until you realise where Elliot's were, which was Boreham Wood. Yeah. Okay. Which is right. just down you'll the road. Which have is to just down, expand on that. Which for is just down the road from Elstree Film Studios. Yeah. So the thirty-five mil format of the of the tape, I'll call it tape. It's not its film. It's thirty-five mil sprocketed film. The mechanism in the film handler, if you've seen it, if you see pictures of it, look it up on the web. And there's quite a few around. It's actually the same mechanism that a film editor would have used. In an editing suite, it's something to be able to take 35 mil stock, run it backwards and forwards oh, to yeah, find right. the bit that you want. Yes. In the case of the film editor, of course, he's looking through an optical system to project the image. He's then cutting bits out and yeah. editing it together. So take that optical process out, put a mag set of magnetic heads in, use exactly the same mechanism for going backwards no. and forwards, and you've there got you go. a an so, addressable backing store. So which came first? Obviously, the, so the, the mechanisms were readily available yeah. for them. It's the same mechanism that was used in the 400 series. Right, and so the, the stock was available. So. Yeah, yeah, it's called full coat. So what do they, they, they took the coating off? And, no, 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 and it's, a full it? coat, it's full magnetic coating. So I think the film ah. industry used it for sound recording. Ah, oh, right, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so they've got sprocketed, so it's locked with the photographic, Yeah. and they could record Time multiple seems. tracks on it at yeah. the same time. Right. Now I've seen again. I've seen pictures of this, and there are some videos, and we'll put some yeah. links in the show notes. Yeah, so if, um, you, if you can find the people um, having various, you know, multiple. I was going to say mag tape units, but yeah, that's not film the right handlers. Term. Film handlers. So you could have up to four on one spare, right, on one controller, and you could be doing. You could be searching on one handler mm. and reading and writing on another. Right. So that would happen concurrently, and it had DMA. A form of DMA into the core store, so there was no problem. Well, don't don't, don't oh, block okay. straight from the. Yeah. The, oh. That's very smart, isn't it's it? Advanced for the time. Yeah. Yeah. So you it? so you use two instructions. You set it up. You set up the next transfer is going to go to this address, and it's going to be a read. Yeah. And you then say read the next block. Yeah. And the program execution stops, and it copies the data off the hand off the film directly into the core store into a block of sixty four words. And interestingly, it's the film controller that says how big the block is. It's not the program. The program has no control over the block. So, what, so the program just says... Do a read. Do, do a read. read. Mm. And the handler says, here's 64. Right. And it's, it, it, it's very... If you actually look at the hardware that goes on in there, it's very clever. They, they, they cheat and steal the program counter. Right. To actually... Um, no, tell a lie. They don't steal the program counter. There's there's an adder circuit in the instruction register. So the the seven seven the block transfer instruction stays in the instruction register while it's doing the transfer, but it keeps in incrementing the instruction to bump the address up uh, to read right. or write yes. the next location yeah. from right. the core yeah. store. Because yeah. it's a bit odd to have an increment circuit in a program in an instruction register. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yes. It, but it, it it uses a bit of existing uses the ex because the seven seven. Instruction with the address to read and write to is in the instruction register, right? Mm. And it's then no different to reading or writing an operand, because the operand no, address no, would be yeah. in the instruction yes. register. Yeah. So it's exactly the same process. Mm. It just it just suspends the fetch execute, sits in execute, and keeps yeah. incrementing the instruction to so read or write the next word. So typically, it's, it's the more the commercial users that yeah, would have the so. film handlers and so yeah. on. I was about to say, who were the typical customers of the 803? But it sounds like it's difficult well, to say. Well, there's all sorts. Um, the one that I first came across had been in Brush Electrical Engineering in Loughborough. So that had been used for scientific... Ah, so this is going back to some of my confusion yeah. in the previous... Yeah, yeah, I did. I was going to, going to yeah. mention that. Far away. So that was the machine that I used at school. That came out of Brush. Mm. And that had been used for doing um, transformer design, traction motor design, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so that was an engineering one. The post office had a couple. They had one at Dollis Hill for doing whatever telephone companies do. Yeah. Design telephone <laughs> networks, one yeah. assumes. Yeah, presumably. They had mm. another one down at Goonhilly, which right. did calculations for steering the dish to track Telstar. Oh, yes. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes, I do remember them acknowledging that when yes. we went. <laughs> yeah. Yes. A while yeah, ago. A long time ago. Yeah. Um, 
So I've recently, as, as I said, I went to see Laurie Bentall the other week and I came back with a, about a year's worth of Elliot internal news, newspapers called The Core, mm. which is great because it's full of lots of examples of, you know, so-and-so has bought an 803 mm. for doing yeah. stock control and all this sort of stuff. So I'm actually, yeah. it's quite interesting because I keep coming across photographs that I've seen the photograph before but didn't know the backstory. Yeah, so that's it's useful. It's, it's, well, it's interesting because the photographs survive, but the actual original and the, and the detail gets lost. Yeah, yeah, context, yeah. 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 So, for example, there's um, there's a, uh, uh, an, uh, an article in there about Thornbers, which was the the chicken egg laying company. Oh, then, then that's the video that we that's must put the Pathé the link. film. Yeah, it's a Pathé yes. news film. The science yeah. of the egg. Yeah, which actually shows the 803 with its film handlers working. All right. And yeah. that, yeah, the the video, oh, well, it's a video now, well, it's not even a video now, it's, it's whatever it is now, yeah. but it was a Pathé film. Yes, yeah. But this is the one with them um, calculating the best, best, best producing, Le best laying eggs, best, best laying, laying eggs and so on. Yeah, yeah, uh, yes, uh, yeah no, best laying one. chickens and so yeah. on. No, it's quite fascinating. I've never seen anybody sex chickens as fast as that, that before. Yeah, it's yeah. quite, quite, <laughs> it's quite brutal, man. You just throw them <laughs> about, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so right. um, we we'll must put links to that as so well. So commercial yeah. users, there was um, uh, Cora's Knitwear in Leicester. Hmm. I think had two that they did all their order handling and production planning on. Right. Um, I said there's quite a few articles in the newsletters. I keep coming across, you know, um, various companies that have used them for doing building design work. Um, so when did you come across the 803? So I came across the 803 at, at school, at Loughborough Grammar School, which was the one that came out of Brush. Right. So they'd upgraded... Oh, they donated that. Yeah. yeah. They upgraded to a 1900. Right. And the 803 came to the school. So it was installed in a classroom in, in the Pullinger block, which is the math block. Hmm. Um, no air conditioning, of course. Schools no. But In working condition? Yeah, in working condition. Right. And interestingly, um, I think for the first few years, we must have had a maintenance contract with systems reliability mm. oh yeah a name that you two will be familiar with yes. because of the association with john sinclair yes exactly mm. yeah who was the guy who restored the 803 down at the science museum and also restored the 803 here so he he came to the grammar school a few times to fix our to 803, fix the 803. Yeah. whilst he's working for systems reliability once they stopped doing 803 maintenance, we then moved on to a chap called John Sanderson, whose name you might know, because yeah, he's, invo bell, he's yeah. involved with the EDSAC project here. Yes, of course he is. Yeah. Yes, so, yes, yes. So when he appeared in the, in the <laughs> Large Systems Gallery a couple of years ago on the yeah. EDSAC day, and I looked at him and thought, I know who you are. And he <laughs> looked at me and you. said, I know who you are. Right. And we instantly recognised each other. But the funny thing about John Sinclair, as I said, he, he I think... I'd seen him at school when he came to fix the 803. Yeah. And then, of course, many years later, I turned up at the old canteen at the Science, Science, Museum, the Science Museum for yeah. one of the CCSs in steam days of the 803. And I walked in with a, a couple of boxes of tapes, which had got the old compiler in, and sort of said, anybody interested in this? <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, I think John and Tony both sort of went, ooh, yeah, got excited. But John and I looked at each other and sort of went, We've seen each other somewhere <laughs> mm, before, yeah. and it was only then through a bit of conversation that we, we put it together with yeah, him coming to the grammar school. Mm. Yeah. So you, mean, you mentioned Algot, yeah. So, uh, me as a uh, you know, 1962, and I've saved my pennies as a business and bought an 803 for about 30,000 pounds. About 30,000, well, I saved a lot <laughs> of pennies then in that yeah. case. What did I get with the machine in terms of? System software? Or, okay, so um, the, there is no system software. Right, no, and therefore no applications. Um, I don't know. There was a whole load of user group applications, called, so they were in the LG series in the program library, right. um, none of which seem to have survived. Oh, right, okay. I don't know why, um, but I've never seen any of I've seen a few documents about them, manual pages, but I've not got any of the software. So this, this is members of the user group just sharing useful bits of code yeah. between each other, yeah. But what you did get was a whole software library, right? which was one of the things that I think Elliot's were, were fairly unique or, or first to do. So you got the big things like the autocode compiler, um, the Algol compiler, which is a whole story in itself, um, a, a uh, what they call the translation input routine, T2, which basically allowed you to write textual numeric versions of the instruction set and read it in and assemble it into store it, right. it did a very rudimentary 
you could have block structures and relative addresses which the machine didn't support but you could use relative addresses in your source code mm -hmm. and you could do and block addresses so you could do block addresses so you could move chunks of code around but it was all fairly manual mm. but uh, then it came with sort of routines for printing numbers, reading numbers. There's a wonderful one, which I think is T29, which is to print the value in the accumulator as pounds, shillings and pence. Oh, right. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Um, so then there's the B series, which are all the math stuff. So sines, cosines, logs. Right. C are things like the copy program and a, a rudimentary form of copy edit, said light program, mm -hmm. C14. Um I can't remember F are to do with the film so there's routines for using the film as a block addressable yes because you I mean that's exactly the sort of thing you're not going to expect to have to write yourself and inherent knowledge of the hardware as certainly well. autocode had film handling routines built into it right okay um, G's H's I can't remember but there's um, J's K's L's, then you get to like the T, which is all the input-output routines I've mentioned. Okay. There's the P series, which is support for the plotter. Hmm. The Zs, which are demonstrations. Um, the Xs, which are test programs. So there's a whole there's a whole software library that you've got with the machine. That's pretty good. Yeah. Most of which have survived. Right. We have got copies of most of that. I've got copies of all the manuals. Hmm. And the, some of the programs come with program sheets. Right. So even if we hadn't got the tape, we could we could rekey that. But most of them have got the tapes for. Okay. So I've spent my £30,000 and I've yep. got the machine. What am I going to program in to write my applications? So autocode. So the three choices, I would yeah. say, are autocode, machine code, and Algol. Algol. Mm. Right. Um, Elliot's did run courses down at Borum for, yep. for all three languages. Um, the autocode was fairly straightforward, um, as, as most autocodes were in those days. Machine code... Um, it's not difficult on the 803. It's a fairly, it's only a six-bit opcode, so there's only 64 instructions to remember. Mm. There's nothing particularly difficult. Um, getting your head around B modifiers mm. for address modification takes a little while. Um, and then the Algol compiler um, was the sort of the, the crowning glory of the machine, really. Well, I, I just think so. And so of course, the if name I'm a number cruncher user in a university or a yeah. school or something, I would have leapt on the machine yeah. almost the because of the Algol mm. compiler. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I think it sold so well in the scientific. Yes. Yeah. So the Algol compiler, it's. I, I I don't think I know the whole story behind the Algol compiler because it didn't come out until about sixty two, sixty three, which right. was a couple of years after the machine had been available, and it looks like it was actually being developed for the five oh three which was the parallel, much faster version of the, of the same machine. Right. Um, which actually didn't sell very well in the end. I think it was too expensive. Right. And other machines were coming along. Hmm. But there are things that say that, for example, um, in these, these core newspapers, there's something that says, and um, we're pleased to announce that the, the Algol compiler, which will be provided with every 503, is now working on an 803. It's been developed because the machines are instruction set compatible. It's right. been developed on the 803 and is working on the 803 and will be ready for the 503. Mm. So it almost sounds as if releasing it for the 803 was an afterthought. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> it wasn't really yeah. what they yeah. intended yeah. originally. It, no, yeah. it, it's here, it works, well, let's put it out. Yeah. And I think it was well. very successful. Okay. And, and that, that was written in house by Elliot. It was written in house by three people Tony Hall. Right, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, of, of, of quicksort fame. Of quicksort fame. His yeah. wife, Jill. Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah, a very accomplished programmer as well. And yeah. another chap called Jeff, Hil Jeff Hillmore. Right. Now, interestingly... Oh, Jeff Hillmore, right, yes. My, yeah, my copy of the 803 Algol manual at home, at the back of it, it says, you know, published July 63 or something, and it says C-A-R Hall. Yes. Whatever. Mine has three signatures next to it. Really? Of the three authors. <laughs> the three people that wrote because it. if you remember a few years ago now, the CCS held an Algol seminar at the Science Museum. Yes, that's right. And I went along and took my Algol manual with me <laughs> yeah. and got the three of them to sign it. Oh, excellent. So uh, that's a rather nice little bit of yeah. memorabilia. Yeah, no, ab absolutely. But the interesting story behind it is, of course, that some of the um, library routines I've just been talking about, the D series, were actually sorts and things like that. Mm. And one of them is a shell sort mm. written by C.A.R. Hall. Right. 
pre his invention of quicksort. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you sort of start to wonder: Did he was was having Algol available and its ability to do recursion? Yes, possibly yes. the first thing that allowed him to implement quicksort to, to, to do that. To, mm. The idea, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. It's a nice story. It yes. might be apocryphal, <laughs> but it does seem yeah. to hang together. So all the timings are right. So how, how good a compiler was it? Because, I mean, at the time, people would be wary about that. You know, mm. the usual argument, oh, well, I can write it in machine code or or pseudo-assembly, yeah. and it'll go like the wind. Yeah. And if yeah. I have okay. to write it in some sort of compiler, so, it'll so, be... Uh, un un undoubtedly, the code that it produces is, is not fast. Right. But it is very convenient. And it's a very good implementation. Uh, uh, there's very few things that are missing. Mm. From the eight hundred three Algol compiler, there's mm. a few, but they're not 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 major showstoppers. Well, in terms of sort of time between idea and having the program written, then yeah. it'll be quicker, even if it doesn't oh, run it's... quite as fast as it yeah. might. Because mm. yeah, and it and it's a slightly odd dialect. So the interesting thing about Algol is there's actually three versions of the spec, and I'm scratching my head trying to remember what they are. There's the there's like the formal specification. Mm. There's a sort of printing printable version and there's a machine implementation version i can't right. remember what the three names of them are but but the formal spec has lots of weird mathematical symbols in it you know symbols for and and or and, oh, right. and things like mm, that yeah the printing version allows for the fact that printers might not be able to print all those characters all those yeah. characters yeah and then the the hardware version is particularly interesting on the 803 because it was only five whole paper tape Mm. So it's only got uppercase letters, naught to nine, and another uh, sixteen okay. characters. Well, we can, know, like, like, like plant signs, at plus minus, yeah. and things yeah. like that. Yeah. But it hasn't got any of the, the fancy characters no, okay. that you were needed. Uh, and interestingly, um, it means that everything has to be in uppercase. Mm hmm. Mathematical things like and and or are actually written as a and d yeah. and, and o r. Oh, right. yeah. yeah. So that, in some respects, it actually becomes more readable. Yes. So it's because it's all in English. Um, luckily, it's got colon and equals, so that's yeah. survived. Mm. Um, it doesn't have semicolon for the separator statements, so we use apostrophe. Right. right. So, so it look, if, if you're not used to it, it looks a bit odd. You can tell that it's algol, but you look at it yes. and think, oh, there's something odd about yeah. this. But yeah, that's that's why there were these three levels of languages mm. to actually accommodate or to recognise the fact that hardware implementations meant that you wouldn't be able to use the formal spec. And there, there are lots of other variations on Algol as well to do with. Okay. Some so, some languages had all the reserved words in quotes. Some of them had them underlined. Some of them in bold. Yeah. And, and all these sorts of things there are variations between those three languages. So so you know a program like three A four sheets of. Algol source code. How long does it actually take you to compile to that? And what, what do you actually end up with? You end up with a sort of so, a punch tape, which no, is no, oh, uh, right. right. It, it, there are various things that can happen when you run the compiler. Yes. Um, so how long does it take? Well, it takes it takes minutes to to load the compiler for a start because there's two tapes. One, to actually just load the make one of which, paper one of which is oh, six or eight inches in diameter, and right. the other one slightly smaller. Yeah. So you get those into store, and then you start compiling. And so there's the, the bottom of store is taken up by the whole of the compiler. Yep. The top quarter of store is taken up by the runtimes, which are basically copies of those library routines, like mm. the, yes. the prints and the signs yeah, yeah. and the cosines and all that sort of stuff. And then you've got this bit in the middle, which is for your program yeah. and your data. So the compiler starts running, and it produces an intermediate version called own code, right. um, which it writes from the bottom of the free store up filling the free store up. Pass 2 then reads the own code backwards, so the last bit of the own code that it wrote is the first, first bit, bit that it reads, yeah. right. and starts writing the executable down from the top of the store, free store. Oh, okay, from the top down. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So hopefully they never catch up. Yeah. I was about to say, it's going to get... They never actually leave it. So, yeah. so it's consuming the own code <laughs> yeah. in the opposite, in, in the, the same direction. direction as it's writing yeah. The, down. Yeah. the executable. Down. That's very down. elegant. It's very it? elegant. And... and it, it it has various strategies like it, when it's running out of space. If it starts to run out of space for own code during pass one, right. you can see it shuffles a few things, a few stacks and things around at the top as its first attempt. Right. Then eventually it gives up and dumps all of the own code out to paper tape. Right. Right. <laughs> 
which you wind up as it comes out and then feed it back, back in, in again, backwards. Because it's the same, it's right. because same, it's the same process. Yeah. It's written it that way in yes, store and read it the other way. Back in again, I should stop waving my arms around as I'm, I am doing because the people listening to this <laughs> no, 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 won't no, be able to see what I'm doing. I, I but it comes out and you wind it up and then feed it back in yeah. backwards. And to, and to comp- Can you imagine the three of them designing this? It's and very that clever. one morning comes and says, I've got a really clever idea. <laughs> really, you know? Now, the other interesting thing, um, if it runs out of space, if that executable catches up to the own code, yeah. which it can do, the first thing it does is it copies all of the own code down over past one of the compiler. Because that's not needed anymore. Because anyway. past two is at the very bottom of store. Yeah. Then pass one on top of it. So it mm. copies the own code down over pass two. And then it's got all of that space, mm. the free space plus what pass one was occupying mm. for the executable. And I've got one program that does that. So That's I have actually strange. seen it do oh. it. <laughs> or you hear it do it, actually. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Um, and there are other strategies. Um, if you've got film handlers, you can actually get it to write the own code out onto, oh. onto film. I was about right. to yeah, say. That makes yes. sense as well, doesn't it? Yeah. But I've not been able to do that because the manual mentions a Algol Tape 3, ah. which seems to be the thing that enables the film functions. And I've which not is got, not got that. Yeah. Not got it. Yeah. I could probably reverse engineer it. Because I think the code's in there. Right. I think all Tape 3 did was just enable a few things. Hmm. But I've, I've, not, I've not been sufficiently motivated to work that out yet. Um... That must have been absolutely, I mean, it was just staggering, wasn't it, really, to, to have that shipped out to you in, what, 60, 63, 64? Yeah, yeah. indeed. I mean, it, it was an absolute brilliant piece yeah. of work Yeah, from those uh, three people. Just a couple of things in a minute. Why is it sometimes called the Elliot 803 and sometimes called the National uh-huh. Elliot 803? So Elliot's this had is a national as in NCR. As in NCR, they had a marketing agreement with NCR. Right. <clears throat> so I think let me get this the right way around. I think NCR was supposed to do the marketing into commercial, you know, business organisations. Because the selling, I mean, that that's NCR's that typical customer business. Yeah, yeah. Did, yeah, and uh, Elliot and probably the scientific computing division. Right. Did the marketing into engineering and science and education right because Elliot's also Elliot's built NCR 315s at Boreham under license did they oh okay oh I know where I know where there's an NCR 315 just sitting waiting to be restored restored and looked after sometimes do you (laughs) yes I do where's that with uh, I'll tell you afterwards with that wonderful pram not the cram card, ac- card, card, card really random yeah. access memory, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which you cannot believe would ever work. But, um, <laughs> uh, you would, I've it, seen pictures a, of that. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, if you've ever done any uh, abrasive work with metal work, when you have a flap wheel, mm-hmm. it's like a gigantic version of that yeah, with right, cards. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's okay. quite fantastic. Yeah, I didn't know that. And I never built a boron wood. Yeah, good grief. Which is interesting, of course, because Elliot shipped quite a lot of eight hundred threes out to states. Yes, as part oh, of. Oh right. A thing called a Panelit 609, which was the industrial control add-ons. Or onto the eight onto the yeah, Sort of real-time right. process control stuff. Because one of the things I forgot to mention when you were asking about applications, there were several of them went into chemical works and quite a few went into steel mills. Steel, mi- steel mills. Steel, 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 steel yeah, mills, yes. Where they did um, some of them I think just used them for production planning. So they would basically optimise the cutting, yeah. and, and in other ones they were actually involved in, in the process of the mill right. and the actual cutting. Um, apparently they saved, they, they recouped their costs very quickly on those. They saved phenomenal amounts of money through reduced waste. What, and just, and just, just, just being more careful or, or yeah. planning how they cut the um, yeah. sheet steel? Yeah, all the billets. Yes, you can imagine. Yeah. So how many... How many 803s survive now? Um, working one, which is the one here at TNMOC. Yeah. There's another one in storage somewhere in the Science Museum's yeah. labyrinth of store. Right. Uh, they're the only two that I know of. Okay. There's bits no, in I've, other I've museums. I've seen bits in Edinburgh, yes. Yeah, you've seen some bits in Edinburgh. There's a, either a Polish or a Czech museum. Looks if they've got a CPU. Uh, but nothing else. Um, 
Um, I think I've got the word generator as well, but, right. but, but obviously not working. Yeah. Um, so one one working. Uh, one of the, there's one I, I can say one at the science museum. Yeah. Used to uh, work. Used to yeah. Used to work. House, and it's actually a bigger machine. It's actually got four film handlers yes, and I've a film controller. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure where that is. Uh, and, and, and we did and we did have those working. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm not sure where it is now. Now I know when we met up earlier today. The 803 had been up and down a little bit today. <laughs> what, well, what, the problem, the what, what goes wrong? I mean, it's, 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 it's quite remarkable the AIDS working anyhow because it's, yeah, it's, it's getting on she's for well. She's 50 odd years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, go, what goes wrong? So I think the problem is we, we haven't been running it for about the last month. While it's been really hot here in the UK over That's the true. summer, yeah. it's a germanium transistor machine, air-cooled, should be air-conditioned and isn't. Okay, so and it's been up into practically into thirty, into 30, low thirties, yeah. and so on. So yeah. we've we've installed some little um, uh, LCD thermometers in the tops of the cabinets, so we can see the exhaust temperature, which is n sometimes around seven degrees, eight degrees higher than the room temperature. Right. So bear in mind, we normally turn it off when it gets close to thirty. Yeah, absolutely. When right. it's thirty going in at the bottom, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Temperature is 30. We're, we're not going to run it. Then, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not quite sure where germanium starts to run away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's not worth taking the risk. No, yeah. So yeah. it's not been on used for a month or more. Right. And and something either dries out or you know um, mm. some capacitor changes value when it's mm, not used or some yeah. characteristic of something changes. We've right. seen it happen before. We've seen it happen in previous years. And, and it's is, mostly around the core store. It is mostly right. It's mostly okay. around the read amplifiers in the core store. Because at first sight, when I when I, when I saw it earlier today, it looked as if it was behaving. Well, it, it did do. It seemed to run perfectly after I changed one of the store amplifiers. Right. Okay. And, and then later in the day, it stopped. Right. Working well. So I'm. But that's the, I mean this is just after I put the soldering iron away, of course. <laughs> oh well, that's usually the case. Yeah, he's going to leave me alone, and it. You know, yeah, yeah, well, it's like it's like when you close all the compiler down and close, shut the machine down, and suddenly you realise, in fact, you've forgotten something. Yeah. And you start it all back <laughs> up again, again yeah, or, yeah. or perhaps yeah. nobody will notice. Yeah. But it was running the Algol yeah. compiler earlier, which is a pretty, pretty good stress oh, test yeah. machine because yeah. yeah. no, you need all the core stored to be working for that to yeah. work. And it, it did mm. several compilations and ran several programs. So. Now, so there's only one eight hundred three going. People can still get the feel of using the 803 because of your your emulator. Yeah. Well, the, other people will be able to if I ever got round to releasing it. <laughs> Tell us about it because it, it's, it's, un <clears throat> okay, it's so unusual because of the detail. Well, yeah. uh, graphically, the, detail, the yeah, detail is one thing. You 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 unfortunately missed the talk that I gave at the CCS about this. Yes, I did. Yes, yeah, that was, was a day job. Indeed, yeah. it, was, it was just um, very Go on, then. very fun. Great fun to do. Um, so I started to write an emulator, ooh, thirty odd years ago, something mm -hmm. like that, on a um, a two eight six running DOS, right, with a Hercules graphics. Oh yeah. god, yeah. Hercules, Hercules graphics, graphics. Yeah. yes, yeah, and things like that. Uh, or started off most of it written in C, mm. little bits of two eight six assembler to do the mm. thirty nine bit maths and things like that. Um, and then over the years, that's progressed on to things like VGAs and then SVGAs. Mm. If anybody remembers trying to write code for a VGA, it's an absolute nightmare. <laughs> it's one of those examples where the the hardware designers clearly took the easy route and mm. thought, we'll leave the programmers they to sort this out. Yeah, they can do all the work. So, you, so you've got four bits per pixel, mm. yeah, but they're not even in the same byte. Oh. <laughs> you've, got like, you've got four green bits, you know, eight green bits in a byte. And then eight red bits yeah. and eight blue bits, and and you've got to if you want to change one pixel, you've got to access. Uh, oh, it's yeah. Right. Okay. So so when I got my first SVGA, which is like eight bits per pixel, you know it's a color map, but it's eight bits yeah. per pixel and eight bits in the same byte. In the same. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Animations mm. and things like that suddenly become a hell lot easier. But you but the level. I mean, I, I've written yeah, simple I'm a little, simulators. I'm, I'm a little bit um, over the top about that. Really. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I have I have some very strict rules about. Go on then, because I've written things. I mean, you can write things that's sort of, okay, read the instruction word yep. and just do, do the sums in whatever. C or yep. whatever and yep. and hope it's close. And hope it's close. And and it fails on errors and fails, fails on edge sorts, conditions. Yeah, yeah. indeed. In all sorts of so, ways so that you your... wouldn't expect it to. So the, the, the fact that the 803 is, is an audible machine, you can listen to the 803. 
it makes a noise. The, the console has a speaker built into it, specifically so that you can listen to the program running. Okay, what's it connected to? It's Just connected one... to the top bit of the instruction register. Oh, right, okay. So yeah. any, of the, any of the jumps, the multiplies, the divides, the <coughs> floating points, the input-output instructions, all turn the loudspeaker on for mm. however long the instruction takes. Right. Uh, this, of course, means that with carefully crafted code with shifts and things, you can actually make it play tunes because yes. you can, <laughs> yeah. it's always slightly out of tune, but yeah. there we go. So, to me... It, it's not an 803 emulation if it doesn't run at exactly the right speed and sound exactly right. Right, understood. Because you're not only... My aim is not just to emulate the machine executing instructions, but to actually emulate the user experience yeah. of using the machine. Yes. Which is why I've got so many very detailed animations of buttons. And when you put a paper tape in the paper tape reader... You actually have to take the paper tape out, out of the drawer. Out of the drawer. Yes, yeah. you have yeah. to open the drawer you have to do open, that. Well, yes. in the three D yes. version, which isn't yeah. working at the minute, you have to pull the drawer open. You can take a tape out. Take a tape mm. out. Yeah. Um, in which case, your hand, the cursor changes to the tape. Mm. You then go to the tape reader, drop it on the tape reader, in which mm. point the tape appears and your hand comes back. Mm. You then have to press the load bar on the front, slide the tape back in, all the way to the back, let the load bar up, mm. and then press the. The, the load button on the PTS. So you have to do it all in exactly the right order. And there's an awful lot of effort goes into making sure that, for example, when you're sliding the tape back into the reader, your your finger, which is the, the, the mouse cursor changes to a finger, you can't <laughs> nice. actually slide it back through any of the bits of the reader. You have to go around right. the side yes. and slide <laughs> okay. it to the back. And if you grab the tape on the end, yeah. you can only pull it. Yes, you can't, if you can't push. So if you try and push it, you let go. Right. So there's all, it's it's a bit over the top, I admit. Yeah, that's okay. But then, and emulating the actual instruction set, the instruction set hasn't really changed much in the last thirty years. I'm sure there are bits of code in there that still were there for thirty years ago. So you shouldn't expect to find any new bugs. Eight oh three code that wouldn't work. It wouldn't yeah, it work. Run, yeah. No, which oh, is right. which is nice. The, yeah. the, the the only so your 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 point earlier about sort of just using. Your C compilers, maths routines. Yeah. So the floating point routines, the floating point hardware in the 803 is a little bit odd. Mm. Um, it's a 39-bit word, so it's a 30-bit uh, mantissa yeah. and a 9-bit exponent. Yeah. And I know other people who have written 803 emulators who have, have pulled those bits out, put them into IEEE yes. floating point format yes. numbers, yeah. mm. done the maths. Yeah. Yeah. Pulled it apart again and put it back, put in, it back yeah. in, which is fine until you run the test programs, right? Because it fails for one particular reason, and that is the way the 803 does rounding. It does a slightly bizarre rounding process. It's interesting. Rounding. There's another um, the Harwell Decatron machine, and we, we've had attempts or have attempts been made to actually um, to, to emulate that on uh, with varying success. And it's rounding that causes those causes to it. fail as mm. well, isn't it? Well, the it's, it's it's not the easy instructions. It's the no. sort of it's the edge conditions. Well, yeah. Yeah, very much. Edge and what conditions. happens if you know and, if and you leave rubbish code? Does it behave the same way? The yeah. odd thing with the floating point rounding on the eight hundred three is that when it does the scaling shifts, as it has to do yeah. before addition and subtraction, if it shifts any bits off the bottom of the mantissa. Mm. It remembers that it's shifted bits off, but it doesn't add a bit in. It oars it in. It oars it into the least significant bit of the right. mantissa. So it's it's a, not quite a, a mathematically valid process, I don't think. No, okay. <laughs> because no. that bit could have been shifted two or three bits off the yeah. bottom. Yeah. And it then oars it back in. Wow. But that's the way they decided that's, to yeah, do it. That's the way um, it works. Yeah. That's the way yeah. it works. And, yeah, that, and that's well. what. And there are bits in the test programs that specifically exercise that and little bit of logic that's, yeah. that's making sure that the that rounding has worked. Yeah. And if you do it, as I've described earlier, by pulling the bits out, doing IEEE math, and yeah. it doesn't work. No, yeah, no. And, and X, and yeah. X. Can you transfer code from your emulator into the real? Ooh, into yes. The, yes. Yes, most definitely. So um, that's another whole area of work we've done on the 803 here. I've built a thing called what I call the paperless tape station. So the there is the paper tape station, which has the reader and the punch on it. Yes. And I built a thing which I call the paperless tape station, which is a little board that sits in the back of the paper tape station, 
which has a pick right. and a RAM yeah. chip and lots of 5 volt to 10 volt level yeah. converters yeah. and an opto isolated RS232 interface that goes off to a PC. So you can dump code and get code back out of the memory. So this so look, well, this looks like the second paper tape reader. Oh, I see. Right. Oh, and the online teleprinter. Oh, right. So you, so you're. Oh, that's really elegant. So what I can it? do, I've got a GUI that runs on a Raspberry Pi. Yeah. Now, yep. so you, 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 you click. I want that tape. I want the Algol tape one. Yeah. Yep. Download it into the reader. And there's yep. a little progress bar as it shunts it down the serial interface and puts it in the RAM chip yep, in the paperless board. tape station. Yeah. yeah. You then press the reader select button, which makes swaps reader one and reader yeah, two open. Yeah. Because the initial instructions bootstrap reads from reader one. You start that up, it starts reading characters. The pick notices the the request line coming yeah, up for tape yeah. for nice. reader two. Machine. Puts the data on the bus, toggles the, the handshake yeah. line. So it just sits there toggling these handshake lines, throwing, yeah, throwing, throwing more data throwing five bit values at it. The eight oh three is none the wiser. Yeah, it's none the wiser. Yeah. In fact it, it, it it's just slightly quicker than than the yes, real tape, the real that's only slightly quicker, and less fraught at times, and oh, oh much physically well, less. Well, that's the <laughs> the, 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 the fraughtness is the whole purpose for doing it. Well, yeah. Because yes. as you appreciate, appreciate winding up a tape that's sort of yeah. eight inches in diameter has no. a very high probability of not having the tape in one piece yes. when you finish. Yeah. I will. We'll put some links in to some videos that we, of, the of two me, of us, of we me did. failing to wind up a short tape. Absolutely, yeah, yes, indeed. that's right. And then just falling apart, oh, yeah, <laughs> and it falling all over the floor. Yes. So yeah, so that was the main reason for doing it. No, I, I did. Um, and on the output side, as I say, it looks like the online teleprinter, which we right. haven't got. No. So, okay. so you you select the online teleprinter output, mm. and it comes up in a window on the screen. And of okay. course, you can save that to file. Now, TNMOC have got a f a film handler. Handler. Yeah. But what no, is the bit that's missing? The film the controller. Yeah. The controller, which is another cabinet full of mirror log logic. Right. We've got the diagrams. We've got all the logic diagrams. Okay. So we could build one. Build one. Accurate to Elliot's drawing. Well, we could do it two ways. To do the same oh. I don't think we've got enough mini logs and boards and things to, right. to build one, and we'd okay. have to get the cabinet and all that. Yeah. But we can certainly simulate it. Mm. And the, the interface actually isn't that difficult. The worst bit about it is you've got to provide two 40 bit um, separate data buses. Right. One for read and one for write. Yeah. Um, so that's parallel. The, the amount of logic you actually need to do it is not huge. Okay. So to actually put something like a compact flash card on it mm -hmm. um, would actually not be too difficult. No, so really. so we've done this sort of thing before because we got donated a plotter, a Calcomp 565, yes. mm. which is actually Elliot Blant branded. So it, I think, I can't remember if it was on an 803 or a 503, one of the right. two. Um, that, so that's a Calcomp? Calcomp drum plotter. Yeah, but I've seen Calcon drum pluses with ICL badges yeah, on. Indeed. Yeah, 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 yeah indeed. Bad. Yeah, Everybody, yeah. as I say, it, it was branded Elliot. Yeah. Yeah. So it was on an 803 yeah. or, or a 503. But um, we found it in one of the multiple sets of diagrams that we've got for the machine. We found the plotter interface board. Right. So um, ah, John right. Weatherall set about finding mm. all the bits. Because we've got lots of spare 803 boards. We've got lots of spare PTS boards. So we've mm. got bits with the Minilog logic elements on. He scavenged them all together, stripped a a, uh, a PTS board, mm. populated it with the, all the right gates, wired it up, um, put modern resistors and capacitors on, but it's all done with original mini logs. Yeah, and we we slightly changed the edge connector pin out mm. so that it would plug in in place of the punch two board right. in the PTS. Oh, so right. it's got oh, the right okay. it's got the right yes. data signals on it yep. in the right yep. places. Yep. We just had to put the right um, instruction rather than the function seventy four. We put the function seventy two in and the yeah. address lines and that. so it sits in place of the punch mm. two board. Mm. So we, it normally sat in its own little box right. that sat underneath the plotter. Yeah, um, but we've we've put it in there and we've and we've repurposed the punch connector. Yeah. yeah. To provide no, the I've seen the, the plotter yeah. working. The plot, well, they're always fantastic yeah. watching plotters, <laughs> yeah. anyhow, uh, however yeah. old or new they are. And right. we had one at school, which meant I got software for it. So I've got the Algol plotter package, right? Plotter package, which has got things like you know, pen mm. up, pen down, you know, move to, draw line, and you can actually write text on it as well. So you can redirect. Whatever made output. you keep all the software from school, or did you just because just... I knew one day I was going to write an emulator for it. <laughs> really? Oh right, even then. Even oh right, then. That's that was the, that was the intention. Yeah, I always wanted to write it. 
because um, I'd started by the time I left school, I'd built my first micro, mm. um, but it wasn't powerful enough to do an 803 emulation. No, I then no. went on to Z80s and CPM, mm. yeah. and that was probably Getting just there, about there, powerful, yeah, but yeah. but wouldn't have enough RAM. Mm, no. um, so when I first got my first PC, PC that was the yeah. first machine I got that was going to be man Doable. enough to do the job. And of course, these days it's a Linux. Yes, it's Linux code running under X. Yeah. Um, I'm just porting. I'm just doing a port from GTK two to GTK three. Yeah. Um, I've also got an OpenGLES three mm. D version, um, which looks really nice. Now I've just done. I've spent a couple of weeks ago. I spent about a week doing a Blender. Oh, yeah. 3D model of the word generator. Jeez, oh, yeah. mm. oh. that was hard work. Um, <laughs> basically, because I hadn't done any blending, you know, and yeah. with Blender before. Yeah, yeah. But you know, just package, yeah. learning how to take a, a, an existing physical thing and, and work out. Well, if I want to put that curve, do I actually create the curve? Yes. By putting a cylinder and yeah, taking it away, yeah. or do I? And when you've got all the very various bits of angular stuff around the front, yeah. the order that you do things in and extrude yeah. things, and then yeah. you have to get it right, otherwise you end yeah. up with a, a real yeah. mess. Well, I'm I'm struggling with a 3D uh, CAD package at the moment right. as well, and it's just just it's just extremely hard work. Yeah. Isn't it is it really? It is if you're not used to it. Uh, yeah. Well, it is, and but, it's but, having. But I've now got having the time to practice so and all sit I, and. You know. All I've got so far is I've got this word generator. Yeah. With a. Um, did I use the texture? I think I used the same GIF that I use in the emulator for the mm. texture on the top of the, of the word generator. Planted yeah. that on the top surface. Yeah. Put the buttons on it. Mm. And then I've got a picture of one cabinet, which right. I've replicated four times behind it in this 3D space. Right. So you can actually move around it and see the cabinets ah. behind it. Um, and it looks really, really nice. And when I actually get my act together and get it, get on <laughs> with it, it's going to look yeah, absolutely nice. brilliant. Terrific. Going back to things I got wrong. Yeah. H-code. Oh, H-code, yes. Now, H-code is what has had the conversation started between the two of us a month or two ago now. Yeah. And that's my okay. confusion with brush engineering, wasn't it? Yeah. So, brush brush had... Uh, obviously, they had the autocode and they had the alcohol compiler because we got it at school. Right. But they didn't like autocode. It's too simple. They yeah. didn't like alcohol because it was too big and too slow. All right. So, they wrote their own compiler. In fact, a chap called Dr. Hogg, DC Hogg, wrote a thing, hence it being called H-Code. Oh, yeah. uh, and it's a it's an interesting language. You've looked at the manual, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, no, you sent me some samples, it's, and um, it was quite followable. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, so it has some odd peculiarities, like it only has um, single-letter variable names. Okay. Um, but every variable is an array. Right, right. Yes. Because, because array subscripting is really easy in 803 to compile it. Yeah. It, it, it's very, very easy to do array accesses. Um, reserved words are all four letters preceded with a colon. So you've got your typical set S, set R, set V for functions, integers, and floating points. Um, but it also has the concept of local variables. So it has a global directory mm. and a local directory. Oh, right. Yeah, so you yeah. can do things, clever things like that. You can reuse your variables. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you can very easily drop into 803 machine code with it. Oh, it's, I see. It's so it's something particularly tricky. You just can just open brackets, but it's not. It allows you to put um, H code variable names in for the for the addresses. Oh, so it's sort of so like a macro that, assembler. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yes. Yes. So you can do your. You can create. You can create an array called C for code, yeah. and then write code that goes into that array. Mm. And if you've got another array, you can access all that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but also, it had stuff in there for doing overlays off film. All right. Pages, so you can actually overlay. Code well, that's pages. what I was thinking about. This like a common area that you yeah. sort of overlay. I mean, that's the, my early days of computing was that you had a common area where you kept things. Yeah. And the top would overlay, and you yeah. just you know, and you would always be worrying about how much space you got in the common block mm. and so on. But you so. could you could you could page variables in and out so you could yeah you could page oh, right. blocks of data in and out mm. and blocks of code in and out of that I've, yeah. I've never i've never exercised that bit of the compiler because you right. sort of need to have a film handler yeah um, and, and although a early version of my emulator did have film handlers in the current one i'm working on doesn't but it will do eventually but yeah it's, it's, a, it's a nice little language um right yeah I've waffled on for nearly an hour. No, no, I, I, was, I was just looking at the time, actually, to be honest. Yeah, we no. carry on. Well, um, one, one more thing to cover, well, actually, I, which wasn't 
mentioned yet was where our A203 came from because you got oh, that yes. wrong. Oh, yeah, yes. got that Indeed, wrong. you got that wrong. You got that totally wrong. So, so the A203 here in the museum <clears throat> came from Andrew St. Johnston. Right. Who was the husband of Dean St. Johnston. Yeah. Yep. AKA Dean of Vaughan. Yeah. Who ran a company called Vaughan Programming Services. <clears throat> so they both worked for Elliot's. Mm. In fact, I think Dina uh, was a programmer and I think she might have run the, the programming library or had something to do with the production of the programming library. Right. Um, and there are several of the library routines that say Vaughan Programming Services as the author. Oh, right. Okay. So I think I think Dina left and set up VPS, right. Programming Services. And I, th I think the 803 we've got um, was obviously second-hand. I think it might have been one that Elliot's had in sort of in a bureau yeah. context and then yeah. they sold it on to, uh, passed it on to, to VPS. Um, obviously, eventually the, the need for a programming mm. service radio 3 has disappeared. So VPS was, was, was the, the first UK software house, right. first third party. Um, and they did some interesting stuff. I think they did, um, they did stuff to do with... Um, Toll collection on the fourth, no, the really? seventh, seventh bridge. I mean, right. Um, they did various things to do with um, railway signalling as well. Yeah. I think. But yeah. but anyway, eventually, so eventually, the eight hundred three business dried up, mm. and they had the foresight not to scrap the eight hundred three, but to put it in a barn on their farm. Yes. And throw a sheet over it. Yeah. Where it stayed for a number of years, <clears throat> until about ninety four. Did we open up here? I before my time, but yeah, I think it, it was here in the nineties, wasn't it? Came here so I can remember coming up here uh, one weekend when um, just after BT had moved out. Mm. So all the um, windows were all boarded up still, um, and the eight hundred three had been delivered or shipped that that week. Right. And and myself, John Sinclair, some of the guys from Loughborough, yeah, uh, some of the guys from Kent um, University came along, and we stripped the machine. And we started to restore it that weekend. So we. What state was it in? It wasn't that bad actually. It had right. obviously been under a sheet. There's very little rust. Yeah. The the worst thing was things like rubber door seals that, that all turned to uh, yeah, tar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we took all those off. Yeah. Um, we took all the boards out. Um, so all the the gold plated fingers were all tarnished. Yeah. Mm. So that's just a matter of getting some of this um, contact cleaner um, strip. Yeah. You just rub it over it, it and it yeah. takes all the, the gear off. Okay. So we cleaned all the, the edge connectors up. Um, and then eventually over the months, probably years, John and I brought it back to... Yes. I think we... I can't remember whether we changed one of the core stores. We got a spare core store. We certainly had to change a few things. Right. Um, well, there's, there's, there's a, there is a core store on display. Yeah, indeed. Isn't there? Yeah, the, yeah. A, a, a dissected one yeah. out of the box yeah. so you can actually see the core inside yeah. it. But no, so that... that, that um, that came back to life relatively quickly. We did discover many years later uh, a fault on the machine when the, the extra store, the top 4K, stopped working. Mm. And there's in, in the back wiring, that you can see, I've got a picture of it, I'll, I'll send it to you, you can put a link in. Um, there's, there's a wire goes round the, the solder tag, yeah. and it's been wrapped round it, but it's never been soldered. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. it worked fine for its first yeah. Yeah. 20 yeah. years in yeah. use, yeah. and, and eventually yeah. it... I found it because I wobbled the cabinet one day yes. and oh, it stopped. Yeah. And we found this, this unsoldered joint. I wrote to Elliot's and told them about it, but I never got a reply. Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, considering the number of times it'd been moved at that point and the amount yeah. of use yeah. it must have that's had, it's quite phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Right. The grand old lady. <laughs> um, thank you very much. Thank, right. thank you very, very much. I could we have gone on we'll for another couple of hours. I'm sure you can come back. I, yeah, I, I can, yeah, I, there'll I, be plenty I, of opportunity. I can yes. bore for the country on this. Yes. Um, other news. Um, you've been travelling. Uh, yes, I think we mentioned it briefly in the in the first episode that um, I was going to be going to Seattle for work. Mm. Uh, and whilst there, I'd um, paid a little visit to uh, Living Computers, which is a computer museum in Seattle, um, who we know. Um, so that trip was last week, um, so I um, was hosted by uh, Living Computers last Saturday and, and got a lovely backstage tour, very um, very nice of those guys to do that. So I think probably in the next episode we shall cover um, some of the cool things and exhibitions that they're doing and 
And you've got some audio recording as well, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, I've got some audio recording I did with um, with one of their engineers there. Um, so hopefully we can use bits and pieces of that. Um, so yeah, I'll be good to go through next time. Right. Okay. Thank you all, everybody. And, thank you. Um, thank you, Peter, again. And we're out. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.